official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Hello, everyone. It's really great to be here. And I usually, when I have the rare opportunity to come back and be a part of the church and speak, I usually use this opportunity to make fun of Adam. That's how I kind of start. Um, but I'm going to take a different tack. Actually, I was kind of like almost overwhelmed with this thought this morning. I'm going to do the opposite of making fun of Adam. And I really actually just want to say, say this, because I, some of you probably know this really, really well. You've had the chance to work with the staff and leaders at this church. Some of you might be newer. You might have only kind of witnessed what's happening up front. Um, but you are so lucky. <laughs> be a part of this church. See, some people, they're like, we know. We know how incredibly competent, um, wise, and full of integrity are the leaders of this church. And um, that's, you know, Adam, that's, that's Abby, that's Ian, and that's, and that's the true for the core leaders of the church as well. And it's just not something that you find everywhere. It's, it's a pretty a remarkable thing, and it's a pretty beautiful thing to, to have been able to move away, having been a part of founding this church, and knowing that it just continues to thrive because there are such great people here. And there's so many people who've had difficult experiences with church in their life. It doesn't mean that you, there won't be anything that happens in this church that someone might not disappoint you, but you can count on the fact that it's being led with integrity, that it's, people are doing good work, and that they're reliable and trustworthy people. And that's a pretty great thing. So let's celebrate that. Yeah. See, Mark knows it, too. He was the first person to start clapping. He's like, you don't see that that often. <clears throat> Anyways, <clears throat> now, now let's talk about Pharisees. <clears throat> you know the bearded gentleman with the robes? And I'm not kidding. We are going to talk about Pharisees. So... <clears throat> There just wasn't a good way to transition <laughs> from those two things. So I want to go back. I want to take you back to the first century. This is the time when Jesus was alive. And if you were a Jewish person who was living in, or in and around the nation of Israel during the first century, you would have found yourself almost for sure, and you would have aligned, or having aligned yourself with one of four different groups of people. You would have almost certainly been a part of one of these four groups. And the reason is this, that they had these, I mean, we have parties, we have political parties today, but they were in a unique position, position as a nation. They had been conquered by this imperial power of Rome, and they were kind of under, completely under Rome's authority. They didn't have a lot of freedom as a nation and as a people. They paid a, a fairly heavy tax burden back to Rome. And they experienced this oppression by these Roman overlords. And, and one of the greatest challenges that they faced during this time was the concern that this very unique faith and culture that the Jewish people shared, that they held, that they would lose it, right? Because they didn't have, they didn't have total freedom as a society 
um, even though they were given some freedom to practice their faith, there was a lot of fear that they were going to just lose out on what they had in the midst of this oppression. And so what the Jewish people ended up doing was sort of gathering themselves into different camps as a way of responding to this situation and saying, this is the best way to manage this. And that was sort of how they divided themselves up. So I just want to talk about these four different groups. And we'll start with the Sadducees. So the Sadducees were a group of politicians and priests. They tended to be wealthy. They tended to be highly educated. And, and it was a fairly small group of people in ancient Israel. And the Sadducees took this approach. They said, well, this is the situation that we're in. The best way to, we're never going to overthrow this incredible power of Rome. The best thing that we can do is just to collaborate with them. Just go along and get along, right? And we'll get through this. Now, they got some bennies for doing this, for being a part of this system, right? They were given a lot of positions of authority. They were given control over the temple system, which is the most important part of, of the Jewish, really, culture and economy. And so they got, you know, they got along and it worked out pretty well for the Sadducees. But if you'd asked the Sadducees, you know, why are you choosing to go with this route of collaboration? They would have said, well, this is just the most logical way. This is the best way that we can manage the situation that we're in is to just go along and get along. So there's the Sadducees, and then there were the Zealots. The Zealots took a very different approach than the Sadducees. The Zealots said, no, these people do not belong here. The way that they're treating us is not fair. We have to do everything in our power to hold on to our culture and to our faith, and we will fight <laughs> to keep it. And no, maybe we can't overthrow Rome and defeat Rome, but maybe we can make it so difficult for them that they'll give up and they'll go. Or, you know, or we'll just end up, we'll die fighting. And that's, oh, you can't see it very well, but that's a scene of a group of zealot rebels um, from a painting at a time when they had taken over uh, a compound in an old, in a, um, um, a church and in the surrounding area, and they were eventually destroyed by, by the Romans. But the, the zealots were, were terrorists, basically. A lot of them were terrorists. They would go and they would commit... Um, violent acts against Roman soldiers and even against people that they, Jewish people that they saw as being collaborators. So that was their approach. It was very different from the Sadducees. There's get along, go along, and then there's fight back. That was the zealots' approach. And then the next group was the Essenes, and they again had a very different approach from the other groups. The Essenes' way of handling this was just to get away. They withdrew into very quiet and lonely places into the wilderness, and they set up these small communes. And in these places, they worked together. They committed themselves to like the knowledge of the Torah, which is the Old Testament, and this was their sacred scripture. And they, they made uh, copies, handwritten copies of the Torah and, and the, the oral law, these traditions that had been passed down. In fact, if you know about the Dead Sea Scrolls, this was a group of Essenes that had produced the Dead Sea Scrolls, and then it had you know, ended up buried away somewhere and then discovered thousands of years later. So this is with the Essenes' approach. They just said, we're just going to withdraw, and we're going to preserve all culture over here, and maybe they'll leave us alone. 
because we're in a spot that nobody cares about. So that was the Essenes approach. And then now, we're finally to the Pharisees. <clears throat> the Pharisees were the largest group. And in a lot of ways, the Pharisees' response is a response that makes, that kind of resonates the most for me, to be honest, in terms of the way that they responded to their situation. They said, we're not going to just collaborate with Rome. We're not going to overthrow Rome. We're not going to withdraw from society. We actually are. Instead, we're going to put our trust in God because God has promised that he is going to build a kingdom out of our people, and we believe that his promise is true. And if we will follow God's law and follow God's way, we believe that he'll fulfill that promise to us, and he'll establish a new kingdom right here in Israel. So we don't have to go those other routes. We just have to be faithful people. So Pharisaic response was something that resonated for a lot of people, and it's something that makes a lot of sense. They tended to be middle class. There were priests and scribes and people who are generally um, educated, and then a lot of people who would have just aligned themselves with this group of Pharisees. They were also tended to be more spiritual in their view of the world than, say, the Sadducees, who would have just been like, what you see is what you got. The Pharisees believed in an afterlife, which the Sadducees didn't. Um, the Pharisees believed that there were spiritual forces that were at work in the world around us that we don't, maybe we can't see, but that we experience. And Jesus just fought with the Pharisees all the time. He just could not get along with the Pharisees. And when you look back historically, it's really interesting, right? Because it seems like Jesus would have had a beef with, like, all of these people. <clears throat> like, there's a lot going on here. That there's a, it's pretty easy to maybe go to the zealots and say, maybe violence, you know, isn't the, the answer here. And when his, you know, his disciples did choose to go that route, you know, he, he squelched it right away. But he, he never really criticized the zealots. We don't have any record of that. He had very little to say to the Sadducees. He pretty much, uh, he, he pretty much ignored them. And the, Sadducee, or the Essenes weren't around. So nobody really had to bother with the Essenes. But, but I'll tell you, the Pharisees, he just was in constant conflict with the Pharisees. So what I want to do is talk a little bit about why Jesus was in such opposition with the Pharisees, where that was kind of coming from, and then what that means and what that looks, why that matters to us today. So I want to turn together to Matthew chapter 12. And if you, we're not going to get to cover all of it, but the whole chapter of Matthew chapter, uh, of Matthew chapter 12, this whole part of the text is like an escalation of this troubled relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees. But we're just going to look at a couple stories, starting with verse 9. Because this, this one sort of summarizes, this first one summarizes one important aspect of it, and then the, the next one summarizes another important aspect of this, of this issue that they had. <clears throat> so it says this, Going on from that place, he, Jesus, went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. So this is something Jesus just did where he would wander around and he would teach and then they would invite him or he would just show up at the local synagogue and then that would give him a platform to teach people about God. And a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They, the Pharisees, asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep 
and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So they have this interaction, this disagreement. Jesus, I think, does a very nice job of explaining his position. They're not super interested in hearing it. It ends with, they're, they're very grumpy sometimes, and they want to kill Jesus. So the conflict here, understanding the conflict is important. It's about, it kind of centers around the interpretation of this law of Sabbath keeping, which is from the law of Moses, and it's part of the Ten Commandments that we find in the book of Deuteronomy. So Sabbath keeping is very, very central to the Mosaic Covenant and what it means to be a Jewish person. These people, remember, again, they're trying to preserve their heritage. And so this one was a big one for the Pharisees. They're very in tune with the importance of keeping Sabbath, which was just simply to not work on their, their, their day of rest, which is the Saturday, and, and to preserve that time as a time of rest and time to focus on your relationship with God. That's the heart of it. They became very fixated on what does it mean to work? Because we have to do something, right? We, we, even rolling over in bed is like an action. And so they felt like, well, we have to, we have to nail this down. We've got to figure out what's work. And so they actually created a code, and there were 39 different aspects that they looked at in, to, in order to define what it means to, to work. And then under these 39 different headings, there was like a whole lot of explanation about what it meant to go too far. So there were a certain number of steps that you could take during a Sabbath day. And if you exceeded those, then you were going too far, right? So they just had spelled this all out. And, they, and then there's this scene, and they sort of catch Jesus breaking their code, right? He's overstepped his bounds by performing this miraculous work. And what Jesus says to them is, no, you, you've completely forgotten the whole point. You've forgotten what the law is for and what God gave it to you for. The whole point of this is that God wants us to experience peace and joy and God's shalom. He wants, it's the laws given to us that we would experience restoration and redemption, right? That's what it's here for. It's like, it's supposed to be a blessing and you've turned it into something else. And he says, of course, you can do good on the Sabbath. <laughs> the law shouldn't prevent you from doing good. The law is there for your good, but they disagree. They want to kill Jesus. So, Let's move on to the next story. This is just, again, a little bit later in chapter 12. Um, another story of a healing. <clears throat> it says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man. And this is just a group of people in this town. They brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both hear and see. Speak and see. I think I got that wrong. Could... All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? So, David? so Jesus performs this miraculous work. They're blown away by it. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, 
that this fellow drives out demons. So once again, Jesus and the Pharisees are in conflict. But what's interesting here is that leading up all up to this point, the conflict always centers around the law and the interpretation of the law. That's what it's, often it's about the Sabbath. But here, this is not on the Sabbath. This is just a regular old day. We don't know what day of the week it is. But Jesus isn't breaking the law. He's not pushing against any of the boundaries that they've set up. He just does this really good thing, right? And you would think that they would be celebrating, oh, this is amazing. This person has been healed like they've been restored in this incredible way. This is something we should celebrate. No. They say he does this by the prince of demons. And what we find out here is that it is true. The Pharisees love their rules. They love they love the rules. They love defining the rules. They love, you know, spelling them out to every detail. But you know what they really, really love? <laughs> Making the rules. <clears throat> they want to be the ones who are in charge. And when Jesus starts performing these miraculous works, and he, people are gathering around him, and they want to listen to him, they want to hear what he has to say, Jesus is taking their authority. And this they really don't like. And so now they, they already wanted to kill him, I guess. But it, it's, it's still continuing to escalate, this disagreement between them. And, and <clears throat> Jesus won't accept this. He doesn't let it go. He doesn't turn away and say, I'm going to go find another place to operate where the Pharisees, you know, get away from the Pharisees. Instead, he just keeps arguing with them. He keeps fighting with them. He keeps challenging them and pushing against their code. Again, he's not worried about the Sadducees. He's not worried about the Zealots. He's not worried about the Essenes. He's worried about the Pharisees, and he keeps going after them. And I think there is a reason that, that Jesus is so focused on the Pharisees. And I think it's because Jesus is actually looking at the Pharisees in the way that they represent what it means to be a human being. And he sees that there is something insidious that is going on in their heart and that's taken root in their spirit. And it's something that can happen to anyone. And in fact, that will happen to people. It's happening to people in his time. And I think Jesus even looks at us and says, this is going to just keep happening forever. People are going to keep doing this. People are going to keep acting like Pharisees. And so I want to challenge this notion of, of being a Pharisee and creating this code and choosing to be the ones ultimately who create the rules and define who's in and who's out. And so it raises, I think, an important question for us because Jesus is going after the Pharisees and he's going after them in such a way that suggests that there's something that he really is deeply opposed to in the way that they're approaching their life and the way that they're handling God's law. And so it raises for us the question, how are we acting like Pharisees? How is it that I act like a Pharisee? How is it that you act like a Pharisee? Because I really believe that we all do it. We all like to be in charge. We all like to make the rules. We all like to decide which ones are the most important and which ones are the ones that we're maybe not worried about so much right now, <laughs> the overlookies. 
And there's a ton of those. It's amazing how many things we would say like, oh, I, that's really, that's not a healthy behavior or attitude or thought. But it's not, I'm not really that worried about it. <laughs> Our, we have really good friends who live in suburban Atlanta. <clears throat> and I have to like, I'm not picking on my friends. I'm going to be picking, I have to pick on someone because we have to, we have to understand what Pharisaism looks like. In, in our day, <clears throat> besides the robes and the beards. Um, so they, they live in suburban Atlanta, and their kids attend this Christian school. And it's, it's been actually a great experience for them. But when I was down there visiting them most recently, they were telling us a story that they thought was really odd, which is that they were applying for this school. And in so many ways, the application process was very normal, just you know filling out these forms and telling the school about the kids and about their family. But as they were going through the application process, they noticed that there were two questions on it that really stood out to them. One was about their stance on gay marriage, and the other was about their view of abortion and abortion rights. And they were like, okay, uh, it's a school, right? We're sending our kids to a school. It just, they just didn't fit with anything else that was like, happening in this whole process. And so they actually had the chance to meet with an admissions officer at one point. And so my friend said, you know, this is, I, we, these questions stood out to us as being like a little bit different from the other questions. And uh, the admissions set counselor said, well, we, they're there for a reason. They're there because we want to make sure that all the families here are Christian families and that they take the Bible very seriously. And so we asked them these two questions. And it was, a, it was a litmus test. It was a litmus test. And what I think is really interesting about this, this story is how clear they were about saying, here are the two things. <laughs> if you can identify these two properly, then we're going to say you're in. And if not, then you're out. And the Bible's very big. I don't know if you've noticed this. I have, a very, I have a very slim copy of it, but there are a lot of things that Jesus cares about. There's a lot of things that God talks about, but they really got it narrowed down to two two hot-button issues, and, and it also was very interesting to me that they were just so clear about saying, well, this was, our, this was our litmus test. This is how we knew whether you were in or whether you were out. And I say that, I said I already feel like I have to pick on somebody, and this situation really jumped out at me. But I actually, I really don't want to point the finger at them, and I don't really want to point the finger at anybody else, because the truth is, it is so easy to see how other people act like Pharisees. It is super easy. Like, as I was working on preparing this sermon and thinking about this topic, like, there are so many people out there who are acting like Pharisees, and I'm like an expert at identifying when other people do it. You know, we, it's easy to see other people's hypocrisy. And, it, and sometimes you're like, you get that that's like that thing, right? You know? But the hard part is seeing it and, and recognizing it in ourself. And the truth is that we do it. We all do it. We're very good at recognizing it in other people, but we all have our own way in which we seek to be the ones who make the rules and decide which ones are important and which ones aren't, and how we know whether or not people are in, whether they're the good guys or the bad guys. 
We all do it. And it's different. You know, it looks different for all of us. Some, pe some people who remain nameless, who I'm related to, have a really hard time. You, you know, nobody, you don't know them. But they're like, you know, they find like people having tattoos to be very offensive. You know, which Ian is a very bad man. <laughs> you know, it's like it just trips this certain sensibility. And, or there are certain types of language that really bother people or certain types of behavior that really bother people. And even, and I've, I've, I will admit I've noticed this in myself at times, we have also like, it's not always negative. We have certain causes and things that we become very passionate about. And some of these things are really good things, like things that we're deeply invested in. But we have this way of being like very, becoming very judgmental of the people who don't participate in that activity. And it can, be actually, it can become very identifying for us as we go through this process of, of figuring out who's in and who's out. Um, I will, I've been doing a ton of confessing this weekend, if you were on the retreat. <clears throat> I shared some, uh, some of my personal weaknesses, and I'm just going to keep that train rolling, and then I'm just going to fly out of here. <clears throat> um, but I, it really, this, thinking about this made me think, I have to think about how I'm like a Pharisee and what my code is. And as I've wrestled with this, there's one thing that's really stood out to me, which is that people who work really hard and honor the gifts that God's given to you, see, I can spiritualize it really easily. You guys are good. <clears throat> the people who are lazy or who are spinning their wheels in life, who aren't productive, who maybe aren't, you know, sometimes we get stuck. That's bad. Laziness is super bad. And actually, this could just turn into a sermon right now, but I'm not going to do that, <clears throat> about how it is like a biblical value that God wants us to take this life that he's given to us and the talents that he's entrusted to us and the, the opportunities that we have to serve and to love and to give and to bring healing and redemption to the world. Like, he does want us to act on that. But I turn it into a test, right? And I forget over and over again that, that this is not the way that God looks at us as human beings. He does not constantly judging us. He's not checking our behavior in order to decide whether or not we're good enough. That's not even what God's law is for. The whole point of his law is to bless us, is to bring us closer to him, to make us more like him. And then we turn it into something completely different. And then we set up these codes, and then we use these codes as a way of judging and evaluating. So for me, don't be lazy. That's bad. You're breaking my code. Don't be a racist. That really bothers me. And again, I think God's on my side on that one. <clears throat> I hate dishonesty. That one really bugs me, unless it's just a little thing and it was me. <laughs> and this one, like, after moving back to Michigan, this one is like roared up in me. But tailgating and bad drivers, don't even get me started. <clears throat> You're so lucky in Vermont because there's this experience that everybody has where you're stuck behind a tractor. You know, and so you know deep in your soul that, like, we're all going to have to wait, 
right? That's a part of being a Vermonter. But in Michigan, it's the motor state, man. Like cars are invented and built there. And so their deep, most deeply held belief is I should be able to drive as fast as I want. And if you're in my way, God help you. <clears throat> it's been a very hard adjustment for me going back. So I've tailgating has been added to my list of, of my Pharisaic code that I can't accept. All right, that was a little bit of a tangent. Let me, but I want to rest with this. <clears throat> we get a little bit later in the book of Matthew. Jesus is still talking to the Pharisees. He's still going on with, he's still arguing with the Pharisees. And this is from Matthew, I think this is chapter 16. Chapter 15. And this is actually, he, he quotes from Isaiah here. Matthew chapter 15, starting with verse 8. He says, these people honor me with, oh, first he says right before this, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Now, I just want you to think about this for a second. Their big debate has been about what? The Sabbath law. The Sabbath law. It's a part of the Ten Commandments. This is like super, super central to what it meant to be a Jewish person. It should be pretty central if you're trying to follow Christ as well. This is, they, like, this is, they believe that God sent somebody up to the top of a mountain and that God wrote this law down on a stone tablet so that it would be permanent and then took it back down. That's how central the Sabbath law was to God's people. And then Jesus says, by the time you're done with it, they wor he says, they worship me in vain. And the time you're done taking my law and applying it, they're nothing more than rules taught by men. You've turned it into nothing. You've turned it into like less than nothing. It's become useless. It's become detrimental to your spirit and to your soul. You've ruined it. That's really, really harsh. That's, a, that's an intense criticism. But what if we took this on? What if we took this scripture on in our life? What if this church, as it continues to grow and mature, what if we took this to heart? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. What if our worship wasn't in vain? What if our teaching wasn't just rules taught by men, but was brought, intended to bring us closer to God? What if we weren't just honoring God with our lips, but with our whole heart and our whole spirit and our whole mind. How beautiful would that be? So I want to just leave you with this. I'm going to invite the McHughes are going to come back up. I think it's really important that we get to the bottom of this in ourselves in understanding how is it that we act like Pharisees because we all do. I mean, Jesus would have not have spent most of the New Testament... <laughs> fighting with the Pharisees. He had other battles he could have fought if it wasn't deeply problematic and deeply connected to what it means to be human to act this way. 
to want to be the ones who are in charge and who make the rules and to decide who's in and who's out. And so I ask you this, what is your code? What are the things? What are the things that you hold up as being the most important? What are maybe what are some of the things that you overlook that God wants to actually like have you respond to <laughs> in your life? And then just at a heart level, what is it, where is it that your heart has gone wrong? Where is it that you have become like a Pharisee and you've lost track of, of, of what God wants for us and, and come to believe maybe that not only for others but for ourselves, that God, God's mode of operating is to judge us, to look at how good are you doing in following the law and maybe come back to what the Bible really says and what Jesus says to us, which is that he looks at our heart. He wants to know at a heart level that we're committed to following his way, to loving him, and to loving our neighbors. So I'm going to give you a few minutes. They're going to give us a little time. He's just going to give us some instrumental time to think, and you have a chance to pray and to think about your own Pharisee issues, and then we're going to end with a, with a song together. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.